Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thank you for having me back. Today's topic, Batman Returns, the sequel to the 1989 film Batman. It is the second instalment of the motion picture anthology and the last in the series to be directed by Tim Burton and to star Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Diane DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Walken, Michael Goh, Pat Hingle and Michael Murphy also starred. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. So don't listen if you don't know. I think everybody at this point has seen Batman Returns. Absolutely. It's an outright classic and it was always a favourite of mine growing up. How about yourself? I totally agree with that and it's probably, probably I should say, one of my favourite movies in the Tim Burton canon. What, of the two Batman films? Yeah, and of, of all his movies in general. Oh, all of, his movies. Of, of all Tim Burton's works, of all his uh, oh, great classic early works, Returns is definitely right up there as one of my all-time favourites. But in the canon, yeah, sure. I think I'm the same. I recently did a rewatch of Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and I also did Batman and Robin. I did. I know, I saw it. I've been watching your progress on that. I did. I, um, yeah, I got three minutes in, and I... Str- <laughs> it is a hard watch, but we're not here to talk about... No. Batman and Robin, maybe one day. Thankfully. <laughs> but re-watching all four, yeah, Returns, it does still hold up. And I do, I agree. Like Out of the two Batman movies Burton directed, Returns still is the favourite. Yeah, the, the, the first two are, are definitely the high watermark, you know? I would have loved to have seen him continue with a third movie. Me too. Keaton come back. Me too. It just wasn't meant to be, though. It wasn't, but instead we got Batman Forever, and I won't get into that. But I did enjoy it when I did my recent rewatch. So maybe we can it. we can get together and Talk we'll do an that. episode completely dedicated to Batman Forever. Absolutely. When I was doing research for this, what I found out is that Burton originally didn't want to direct another Batman film. Mm. Warner Brothers were developing a script with Sam Hamm, which had the Penguin and Catwoman going after Hidden Treasure. Burton agreed to return after they granted him more creative control and replaced Hamm with Daniel Waters. Wesley Strick was later chosen to do an uncredited rewrite shortly before filming. This included normalising dialogue, fleshing out the Penguin's motivations and master plan, and removing scenes due to budget concerns. Strick continued working as the on-set writer through filming. Yeah, it's interesting that you should mention that. Um, you're 100% right with Burton coming back and his reluctance to want to come back initially. I remember watching the special features on the Blu-ray for Returns um, not long ago, about a week or two ago, and they make um, specific mention of that, what you just said. I'm glad that he did. And it's good that on the back of that first film, and at that point, what had he done? In 89, he had... Pee-wee's, was it Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Beetlejuice, he'd not done that many films. Mm. But of course, Batman was a box office juggernaut. So it was good that he was able to use that clout to get more creative control with the sequel. Isn't it amazing that he was a little known um, uh, animator, artist, uh, director at that point, and to be given something, a massive, massive franchise, um, so well known and so beloved like Batman and just landed in in your lap. How amazing is that for a guy like Tim Burton to, to really like use as a launching pad for his career? Yeah, and he's done many good films since. Absolutely. 
Batman Returns was released on June 19, 1992. It grossed 282.8 million worldwide on a total budget of 80 million and received positive reviews. Critics praised its action sequences, performances, Danny Elfman's score, effects and villains, although its dark tone was criticised. Really? But this is a very dark film. I'd it say is. a lot darker than that first movie. Absolutely. In tone and in context and even in the the, the more adult-oriented nature of it. But because this was based on a comic book, mm. it's still got a McDonald's Happy Meal. Mm. That's, that's was, amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't that, oh, that always baffled me. That always really baffled me that McDonald's was able to basically take the darkest movie of that year um, and turn it into a Happy Meal toy um, franchise. I do miss those days, though. Where you'd get a big movie, even if it was like a more edgier movie. Mm. You'd still get, get a McDonald's toy. Or a tie-in promotion. But yeah, yeah, more than McDonald's, like just toys in general. That's it. Like Rambo toys, Terminator toys. Yeah, and a lot of the movies of that ilk, um, or that lineage or age, they all had the tie-in merchandising uh, agreements, and, and Mac has cashed in big time. I do remember reading that the the penguin toy it was based more on I think it was the character has he appeared in a Super Friends TV series. Gotcha. You know the animated series because more, more gentlemanly look to him. The DeVito version it's not very kid friendly. No, he's very grotesque. Which we'll flippers is <laughs> we'll get into that uh, when we talk character. Yeah, no, we That's will. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Good point. Um, okay, uh, this. This movie, it set a new record for a film in its opening weekend until the following year when Jurassic Park in 93 managed to break that record. Mm. Now, this movie was huge when it came out. And again, it's no surprise coming out after Batman 89. I mean, it made 47.7 million in its first three days. And at the time was a record. That's pretty amazing. That is huge. And well, again, on a budget of 80 million. So it made its bank back multiple times. Yeah, I never realised. I mean, I guess, you know, inflation, but that's really impressive that he was able to make this movie for oh, yeah. $80 million. Yeah, and and it's one of those movies that people just flocked to the box office to see. I mean, as a kid, I went and saw it within weeks of its opening. I was just so excited for it. Returns? Yeah. You saw Returns at the cinema? Yep. I'm I very jealous. I saw Returns in the cinema. I saw it. I can even name the cinema that I saw it at. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> but that's, that's impressive. You know, my... First Batman movie at the cinema, mm -hmm. Batman and Robin in 97. Mm -hmm. But I think that's showing that you and I do have a little bit of an age difference. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, I'm jealous that you got to see first time around. I saw the first two in cinema. Wow. Yep. I can distinctly remember being in the lobby of the cinemas and seeing all the, the props and all the, all the posters and the cutouts and stuff set up in the foyer for the movies. I was, I was, I was loving it. Very jealous right now. <laughs> very, very jealous. My my first Batman on the big screen, George Clooney. You can't see him, but he. I assure you, Luke is seething with rage right now. Not rage, I'm just genuinely <laughs> jealous that you got to experience that. But at the same time, I'm obviously happy for you. That yeah, was great. Again, I said before, everybody's seen this movie, but mm. I'll give a quick run through of the plot and then we can get on to talking about the characters. Yep. When Max Shrek and criminal Penguin team up to wreak havoc in Gotham City, Batman decides to stop them. Catwoman's alter ego, Selina Kyle, seeks revenge on Max for trying to kill her. I could probably spend the whole review talking about Catwoman. Oh. But let's start with... Couldn't we? Couldn't let's we? start with Michael Keaton as Batman Bruce Wayne. 
I mean, he's he's great. He really is great. But I I remember like years ago, and this was you know just reading about it in in articles and whatnot. Yeah, people really disliked him being cast. I think it, before At the time. Uh, before Batman, he'd done Mister Mom, and he would have done Beetlejuice. Yeah, that's correct. And now all of a sudden is cast as Batman. Mm. And I grew up with him, you know, watching him on VHS, yep. DVD, Blu-ray yep. as Batman. But I can completely see it. And sometimes when you're just used to something, you accept it. But when you go back now mm. and you watch him in those movies, mm. he's just like a little guy. And he's really good and he's bringing intensity, especially in that first movie, the yeah. scene with him and Joker in the apartment. It's really right. cool. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let's but get then nuts. he's still a little guy with round spectacles. That's true. But I completely buy him as Bruce Wayne. But I, I'm just saying that I can get why people were nervous about him being cast. Oh, there was Batman. huge backlash back in the day. There was petitions and everything. But um, it was inspired casting. I mean, he turned out to be the ideal Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I think what he really did well in the role was, was he got the duality between the two down. You know, that whole psychological question of where does Batman begin? Like, where does where does Bruce Wayne end and Batman begin? He really got that down because um, he riddles his Bruce Wayne with lots of nervous tics and lots of sort of um, facial expressions and just giveaway things that show that he's underneath the Bruce Wayne persona, he's still thinking as Batman. He's still thinking, his mind is still ticking over in a detective sense. We don't get the playboy Bruce Wayne. Though, Quite as we? much, no. I think we have to wait until Clooney, until we really see... The earliest glimpse cinematically. that side of it. Of that, yeah. You know, Christian Bale, Batman Begins. Oh, he nailed it. He really did. Like the scene with the two women. Yeah. Falling in the fountain. I often remember that. That's right. That's good because, you know, He shows Bruce off Wayne, that side of him. Bruce Wayne is an act. Yeah, and he needs to throw off people. He, he essentially, to... he is Batman, hmm. but he, he he puts on the Bruce Wayne mask when he's out in public. Exactly, yeah. It's putting on a mask with a mask, and Joker Nicholson makes that kind of, um, he makes that comment in in the first movie about taking off masks and just facing each other, mano a mano. You know, I've taken off my makeup. Let's see you take off yours. Hmm. Yeah, Nicholson's great in that. Ah, uh, yeah. But in this, we don't have Nicholson. No, there were talks of him coming back, even though clearly dies. He dies at the end of that first movie. That was the curse of the Batman movies. They almost killed off their villains way too early in the piece. You know, it's really confusing. I know we're gonna, we will again get to Batman Forever and Robin at some stage. Mm. But doing the rewatch, you're right. It is a thing. I mean, Catwoman survives this movie. Yeah. I mean, holy crap. Uh, we we get Halle Berry later on. Yeah. But the character, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, she's got one life left. And, and we never got to see her return. Maybe she will one day. I don't know. But we've, I hope so. We've not seen her t- today. No. But yes, Penguin dies in this movie. Joker in the last yeah. one. And it's like this. The next one. They don't kill Riddler. But I was very much under the impression that Two-Face dies. Yeah. They throw the coins up and he falls. Mm. And it's similar to Zod in you Superman 2. Yeah. You let him fall. But then there's a scene in Arkham Asylum in Batman and Robin, mm. and you see all the outfits and weapons from the other Bat villains. Yep. So you'll see Riddler's jacket, mm-hmm. but you also see Two Face's jacket. And so, I'm like, why is Two Face's jacket in Arkham Asylum when I was always led to believe he died at the end of Batman? Well, maybe that places a question in people's minds. Maybe he didn't. I think maybe it's just they thought, oh, that'll be fun. Let's chuck it in there. We've got it hanging around the Warner Brothers lot. 
Mm. Let's just hang it in there. Yeah, what the, the hell? Fans it, are like Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. But it just it undoes for me the the end because it's quite dramatic. Where yeah. Robin lets he just watches as Two Face falls, falls to, his, to his, death. his death. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different movie. That's not Batman. <laughs> we're getting Returns. sidetracked a lot today, aren't we? It's going to happen. It's, oh yeah, it's going to happen. We're passionate and we can go off on tangents. Okay, Danny DeVito. You know, he's another one. Like, mm. you know, okay, so we've got Mr. Mom as Batman. Yeah. And we've got the guy from Taxi. And twins. <laughs> and twins as, uh, as Penguin. Yeah. But, but this is definitely a different take on Penguin. Yeah, you know which what? I love. I don't think they've not really gone back to this version, have they? No. But can you imagine how good that was? Can you imagine, like, the meeting, the casting between, um, um, the, the casting meeting between DeVito and Burton? And, and and Burton just basically saying, "Hey, his, I've got this really crazy wild take for this character. What do you think?" And it, the way he pitched Penguin just being a, a, an outcast and a freak and just really dark and trying to reclaim his humanity—that's brilliant because that's so much better than just the old school, you know, like gentlemanly looking Penguin. And he's all like, "Wah wah, I want to rob this bank, see wah." <laughs> it's but you know what? So different. Still got the umbrella. Yep, and he's still got the top hat, so he still looks like Penguin. But as you say, they've got him more. Deformed looking. Yeah, and he wears this ugly looking boiler suit type thing, and he's got the flippers, so he's a, he's a genetic mutation. He's a freak. His parents don't want him. They throw him in the sewers. Hey, he's got black blood. Yeah, always freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, the but... the look of Penguin. So he took two hours a day in makeup. Yeah, and it was very hush hush at the time. Mm. Devito was forbidden to describe the Penguin's makeup to anybody, yeah. including family. Which is brilliant. Well, I love it. They kept it completely under wraps. You know, he looks ghastly. Even his teeth are filed down in the points. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, yeah, he's got, like, sharp teeth, like shark. Mm. Like shark teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, because he, he bites off someone's nose in the film? Yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Uh, I love it. It's so dark. And, and you can tell that Burton had a ball with that character, because he really makes him a metaphor for the ugliness of humanity and being afraid of what they're... Being scared of what they're... You know, being afraid of what... And scared of what they don't understand. And this man basically just trying to reclaim his humanity, being assimilated back into society. But also think about how repressed he'd be, like emotionally, sexually, and just it's just everything from being underground his whole life. Well, we get that a lot, especially you when you've got scenes before. yeah, between Penguin and Cattleman. Yeah, yeah they're very, they're they're very, very repressed. And there's Big so time. many so many memorable lines in this. Oh yeah. Like when he's talking about his parents. I was their number one son, but they treated me like number two. <laughs> yeah. Like... Remember, Freddy, you flush it, I flaunt it. You know, originally, they were looking to have Burgess Meredith, who mm. played Penguin in Batman 66, to come back, but this time play Penguin's father. That would be interesting. It would have been, but instead, they went to Pee Wee. Yeah. Paul Rubens, who plays... I mean, it's in, in almost, a cameo role. Yeah, I'm going to say, it's almost a cameo. It's just at the opening of the movie... But for years, I never realised that was Pee Wee. That's crazy. I, I, I just you're only just blowing my mind because I didn't know that either. So you just told me then. And I'm not big on Pee Wee, but I saw bits of it as a kid because it was a TV show and a couple of movies. Mm. Uh, Diane Salinger, also from Pee Wee, she played the mum. Right. So Burton went back to Pee Wee and got two of the actors. A nice little callback to his earlier earlier um, creative calling. But did you stick with Gotham? The TV series. Did you watch Gotham? Not all the way through, no. I probably stopped watching about halfway through season two. I watched the whole thing. All of it. Mm -hmm. But that's for another day. <laughs> that's for another yeah. time. But Rubens comes back and he plays Penguin's dad in that. Ah, there you go. And it's pretty cool to have him back. Uh, they play it a little bit different, so it's different continuity, obviously, to this movie. 
mm-hmm. but it was still cool to see the same still actor awesome. come back. Actually, in the um, special features, DeVito was saying that he his favorite scene um, filming that movie, he loved the death scene. Penguin's death scene was his favorite. And I can understand why. There's, there's a real poetry to it and a darkness to it. Mm. <laughs> darkness. That's well, the that's, movie. That's, yeah, that's the whole <laughs> You're movie. You're right, but it's, it, it really is. They should have just called it Batman Darkness. That would have ah, been, yeah. Quite that, like that. That would, have, that would have worked. I mean, if Batman and Robin had been more successful, mm. they were going to name the fifth one Batman Triumphant. Really? Yep. That's where they were going. Just on a tangent, you know what my all-time favorite perspective or potential name for a Batman movie would have been? When um, I think it was either, I think it was Batman. Batman Begins. They were looking at calling that Batman Intimidation at one point. Ah, and that sounds awesome. I would have loved for it to have that name. Doesn't I know? Yeah, I mean it's a good name, mm. but Batman Begins is probably better. And it's pretty it explains obvious it more. It <laughs> explains it <laughs> literally it more. does. Yeah, mm. just by adding one word, it tells you exactly. I mean, mm. it might as well be Batman Origin. Yeah. We've mentioned Catwoman a couple of times already. We've got mm. Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle. She's amazing. Catwoman. She's, oh, I'll tell you what, she makes every everyone hot under the collar. Yeah, she is fantastic. And originally, the role went to Annette Benning. That's right. But she became pregnant and was replaced yeah, by Pfeiffer. Yeah. And I do like Annette Benning. Don't get me wrong, but mm. I agree with you completely. Oh. I mean, no one else. No one can touch Pfeiffer. Like no. she's so good in this part. To this day, she is still like my Catwoman. She's the Catwoman. I think she's everybody's Catwoman. Catwoman. Yeah, and I mentioned she's the gold standard, man. I mentioned the Halle Berry Catwoman solo movie, mm. which is not a good movie in itself. I mm. mean, you're big bad. You have got Sharon Stone. She's had that much plastic surgery in mm. the movie mm. that she doesn't feel no pain in her face. Yeah, that's your big bad. But okay, I, I can I can sit through this terrible movie, but what I always disliked about it mm-hmm. it was almost like they were looking at what they did with Buffy the Vampire Slayer you know like they always been a slayer so one falls another will rise yeah. so they're saying in the movie there's always been a Catwoman so it's a legacy and then they throw up these photos of previous Catwoman mm-hmm. and one of them was Michelle Pfeiffer from Batman Returns there you go and that movie that shit movie is basically telling you the audience that they had a better Catwoman she's dead yeah so in that movie, they're saying Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is dead. Yeah. But anyway. Comes to you already. Yeah. I mean, look, Anne Hathaway later on did a serviceable job. I have nothing against her. She looked great in the cat suit and everything. Um, but yeah, Pfeiffer's just the, the she's the, the benchmark, man. She's the, the high watermark. And I've always loved the design of the suit. Yeah. I was old with the visible sewed, white stitching. Yeah, and it's so skin tight. Like she sewed her, literally sewed herself into it. It's um, and she had to be vacuum sealed into it. That's yeah. how they. And then I think she could only last so long before a body needed to breathe. Yeah, <laughs> so they had to rip it off there her. was a really tight corset or some shit like that involved. Yeah, I mean you can see in the movie, mm-hmm. you know how how tight it was. You yeah, can, it, so you can see how she would have trouble breathing. Yeah, so that she probably after a while periods outside of the suit. You know, she went through sixty cat suits. Wow, that's how many, and each one cost a thousand dollars. So that's just her costume. Good thing the studio had lots of money. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So well, what, what did I say? The budget was $80 million and $60,000 yeah. were just on her, her outfit. Yeah, and then you had, like, what, 30 bat suits that were made as well, 30 torso um, midsection cuts. They're all hanging up on wardrobes. You know, this, this threw me. I found this out years ago. Mm-hmm. In the movie, the bat suit, it doesn't actually have boots. Instead, 
Batman is wearing Air Jordans. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So if there's certain images you can see, and if you zoom in and have a look at his feet, you can actually see ticks. Well, that's crazy. Batman's got Nike ticks. Batman's rocking boots. Nikes. I mean, nice. it's pretty cool, but I guess they wanted to be comfortable. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Comfort above all else, especially if you're... Well, I'm saying they wanted to be comfortable. The costume itself weighed... 55 pounds, mm. which is he's 25 probably, kilograms. And he's probably losing litres of sweat. You know, so he's not comfortable. No. Even if he's wearing Jordans. Yeah. <laughs> he's still, That's crazy. He's still not going to be comfortable. That's but pretty yes. cool. That's an interesting tidbit. But Pfeiffer, yeah, she is Amazing. absolutely brilliant in this. You know the scene where she puts a live bird in her mouth? Yep. They're so, puppets. That It was going to be a puppet, and she was going to put the puppet in her mouth mm. And then I don't know how good or bad it was going to look, but because Pfeiffer didn't have faith in it, she, she actually put a live, a live bird, bird in her mouth. And apparently, um, you're right about that, because apparently there were retakes. She did like she did that about six times or maybe more. And it's crazy, isn't it? Because today... That's dedication to your craft. You just have a team of guys, mm. and they do that on a computer. Yeah. <laughs> like they do it, you know, digitally. But, she but back in the day, real. in 92, let's just put a bird in the actress's mouth. Man, some of the dialogue and the scenes that involve her are scintillating. I really wish I could repeat it here. I don't know if I can or not, but it's, it was it was a line that like went over my head as a kid, and um, you know, I didn't think much of it. But then years later, watching the movie as a, you know as a grown up, you go, "How the hell did that line survive? How did they leave that in there?" But you know what? Though? You know the line I'm talking about, right? I don't know. Well, you might as well say it if you remember the line. Okay, okay. So Devito walks into he's uh, the penguin walks. He's in the you know how he's mayoral kind of office, and then like upstairs he's got his own chambers, and it goes from like the bright kind of mayoral office with all the you know election kind of paraphernalia uh, with all the bright lights, and then it goes up into the, the spiral staircase, and his sort of uh, his living quarters are just dark and brooding and floor floorboards and everything, and she's there already on the bed, and he walks in, he's got the umbrella, and he says, "Just the." Pussy, I was looking ah, for. Ah, there you go. Yeah, but you know what? And that, I did, that went right over my head as a kid, but I laughed uproariously when I, as an adult, because I finally got the context. In the UK, it was certificate fifteen. She yep. has to be fifteen years of age or over to watch this movie. Uh, and I, and I've been looking through my box set on Blu-ray here in Australia. Yep. The first Batman movie has been because often what will happen is a movie will get a new certificate. Like mm -hmm. maybe what would have been considered higher back then or yeah, more edgy adjusted accordingly so the first Batman movie is a PG mm -hmm. the Nicholson one yep. which I don't that surprised me yeah yeah Returns is an M that's 15 plus Batman right? yeah. Forever is a PG mm -hmm. and then Batman and Robin is an M how, how the hell was that in there? Yeah. I, have, I have no idea. I have it was no the, idea. Batman and Robin was the campiest out, out of all of them. I don't see how the hell that's an M. It really is. That's if I'm remembering it correctly, but I'm fairly confident that's where it sits. But it went PG, M, PG, M. If anything, Batman Forever, is, it's got more edge to it. Well, it's no competition. Of course, it's got more edge to it mm. than Batman Forever. Yeah. But anyways, I can see how Batman Returns, it would have... You know, whether it's dark visuals or crass humour or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's... more adult sort of uh, contextualisation, you know, more adult sort of themes. When it's not a kid's movie. No, and they were, again, you know, and as a kid, that's lost on you. you. You don't get that. But as an adult, you go, holy crap, you know, he said that. And they left it, it made, the, it survived the editing process. I mean, talking about watching things as a kid and having something be lost on you. Mm. So I'm a kid, I'm watching Batman 66, 
Adam West, Burt mm. Ward. Camp as hell. But I, not to me, it wasn't. Like, really? you know, no, because you were a kid. Like, when I was, I'm talking yeah. to young kids, you're That's like, right. wow, this is like, it's action, it's an adventure. Yeah, it's Batman in the flesh. But you're watching it now, even, even Batman Returns, it's a bit campy at times, mm. but it's still a dark film. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, you're constantly reminded of that around every corner. Let's talk Max Shrek. He was interesting. Christopher Walken. Mm, Christopher Walken. He had, He's really good in this, but originally it wasn't going to be Shrek, a character who was created solely for this film. Mm. And I don't know if he's appeared since in comics, mm. but it was a new character for this. Originally in the script, it was Harvey Dent. Wow. And they were looking at bringing back Billy D. Williams. Yes, I was about to say, Harvey Dent is in fact in the first movie. Who, of course, he got recast by Tommy Lee Jones, Jones and, later Aaron, and later Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, but in this like, Burton-verse continuity, because although Burton didn't direct forever, mm. he was still a producer on that movie. Mm. I'm not sure if that was he like, had just some name kind of, only. He would have had some kind of say or clout as a producer. But you've got the same actor, Michael Goh, as... He was, he's my Alfred, Alfred man. He's Yeah, my but Alfred. Joe, so it's like... That's why I said in the beginning, the mm. Batman anthology, it mm-hmm. started in 89 and it ended in 97. Yeah, that's right. He was so with all four films. that shared continuity, you get two different actors playing Harvey Dent. But anyway, so Billy D. Williams was supposed to come back as Dent. Mm. That happen. was an early draft of the film. And of course, the character was later renamed Max Shrek. And all of Dent's lines were given to him. To Shrek, yeah. And of, yeah, so all, all the two-face elements were removed. But it's interesting that, I mean, I wonder if they'd have still had Penguin and Catwoman at that mm. point. Because that would have been a well, Shrek is really a third villain, when you think about it. Uh, even though his role is small, he is, you could consider him a, uh, and he's a bit player, yeah, but he's the, unofficially the third villain of the piece. Oh, no, he definitely is. He, I mean, they left him out of the poster, you mm. know, with the three heads on top yeah, of each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah, I remember like as a, a kid. Pole. Yeah. This is just a scattered review, isn't it? But I remember as a kid walking past my local video shop and that poster being in the window. And that just pop out. Just yeah. absolutely amazing. But yeah, Shrek isn't on that poster. But the other yeah, two. Yeah, was great. Time. But no, I mean, and he he has collaborated with Burton a few times since he was the headless horseman in Sleepy Hollow, and he scared yeah. the absolute shit out of me in that movie. I think that's potentially the only two times I've worked together. Mm. But yeah, that was a good movie. That mm, was I a good movie. That too. But um, yeah, uh, he was great. He was that was perfect casting because uh, Walken's just creepy. He just oozes creepy menace. It really is, and I love the part where you got the you know you get to the third act. You've got you know the underground. You've got the big fight scene. Yeah, and Bruce Wayne, he, well Batman pulls off his mask. mask. Yeah, and then Shrek's like Bruce. Why are you dressed like Batman? Yeah, he just <laughs> he's get brilliant. Yeah, and then you know, Catwoman's like because he is Batman. Yeah, that was that was cool. Oh, I always liked that. Yeah, I, I really just, do like something about Walken. It's just yeah. really deeply unsettling. He's got this crazy look in his eyes. He's you know he looks like he's got this faraway always look. Unsettling. Even yeah, he's he is. popping up in movies like Joe Dirt. You yeah. know the David Spade movie. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter what movie's in. He's just got this level of intensity. Yeah, and I, I love that's why people cast him. That's why people that's why he gets jobs in movies. And he's got the crazy white hair and yeah. he just looks great. Yeah. He really does. This looks mental. And he's like a he's still like an industrialist in this movie and um, like a captain of industry type thing and he's got the the big um supermarket goods store um the what do you call it the hard goods store Shrek's named after him where obviously Catwoman is in later on and she's like cracking the whip and knocking all the heads lopping all the heads off mannequins and stuff. But yeah. um yeah, we should we we can get into that when we talk set pieces and design. I love the look of this movie. 
Okay, so before we get to that, then we've mm. got I mentioned already Michael Go as oh, man. Albert how, Pennyworth. How great is he? Is Alfred? He really is. But honestly, like I watched across four days, mm. the all four Batman movies, and from eighty nine to ninety seven. Yep. I know his character is not well in Batman and Robin, but mm. you do see this actor really does age. I feel like we came to this guy towards the end of his career. Yeah, but you are right. He is solid. As Alfred. He's so gentlemanly and he always gives off that, that, that warmth that a father would have, you know, for, for and that, that care that a father would have for his son. And you see that in the role. You, you just see what Michael Goh does with Alfred and you completely buy it. And you're like, man, I would love to have like a, an uncle or a grandfather or something like that. I thought you were going to say butler. Or a butler, <laughs> butler. But you know, just someone in your yeah. family who just has that, that really nice presence about him who's very caring. He's, that's, he, he just brings that across in, 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 in the movies. It really is a fantastic Alfred, and we have had many. We've had many Alfreds over many the Alfreds, years. But he, to, to me, he'll always be the best. He is. He's the best Alfred. But now, let's talk about the worst Commissioner Gordon ever. I'm sorry, Pat Hingle. I, I'm not saying it's your fault, mm. but Gordon in this movie, or this series of films, is just bland. He's about as useless as... I can't think of an analogy. He's That's just so, so bland. Like, there's, just, there's, nothing, there's nothing there. He just sits there and like yells occasionally out of a megaphone, you know, or something like that. He just, he just barks orders and that's Honestly, it. Honestly, I grew up watching, like my main reference point was, was these movies for, mm. for Gordon. Yeah. And it wasn't until I looked outside of these movies, whether it's realized. Batman the Animated Series, it's the comics, I'm like, oh. Or even, or even the Nolanverse. But before then, like when I was a kid, it's like, wow, he's a really cool character. Oh man, like when they got to Gary Oldman, mm. perfect casting. I was just about to say, he is, he is Jim Gordon. He looks like Jim Gordon. But if you, if your only exposure to Commissioner Gordon, it's Pat Hingle, is these films, then you haven't got much to go on. He's not a good character at all. No, he's really not. He's not serviceable in the least. I, I don't know what else I can say. Like I, I can't even think of what else. I don't even know. Should I say what else Pat Hingle has done? So I'm not putting it. On him. Yeah, it's not. It's not the, a dig at the actor. No, but the way that it was written or underwritten, like there's just nothing to the character. Yeah, they don't really flesh him out, and you really think they would. Very disappointing. Mm, I concur with you completely there. All right, so we can talk about uh, Gotham itself then. I mean, as, <laughs> it pretty much is a character in this it film, is. like as it was in the, in the in the first film. But I mean, the whole thing was filmed on on sound stages and backlots and stuff. Um, I believe it was. It was in Hollywood, and they had to use they had to bring in air conditioners to make the sets freezing cold for all the penguins and for all the effects and all the snow and stuff like that. Uh, when they were filming in the middle of summer, so outside it's scorching hot, but it, the, the whole production's wearing parkas and jumpers and stuff because they're in like sub-zero temperatures in the lots. But this, but the sets just are so big in scope. They're filming in like big, huge warehouses that are like sixty feet tall or whatever, with massive ceilings. And it takes on the proportions of a city. You, you really believe, looking at this thing through the lens when you're watching it, you really believe it's taking place in a, in a gargantuan, um, you know, industrial-looking industrial city. I mean, just to give you an idea then, th this was filmed at the Warner Brothers lot. Mm -hmm. At least 50% of the lot was taken up by Gotham City. Yep. That is huge. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that fact because if you're a performer in this movie, you're really in Gotham City. Yeah, it's there. You can see it. You can feel it. You see it in the in the um the Blu-ray special features. You have a, a section about that. It's amazing. The rooftop fights—they're all done um on a lot. 
and it's all the rooftops are designed to look like actual city blocks and so you can see into when Catwoman and Batman are tussling and fighting it out and you can see over onto other rooftops and it's convincing it looks real and it's very different to what we've got with Nolan's films because mm. Gotham essentially looks like Chicago yeah which is very different to what we get here where he's it's more gothic it's yeah, I love the, the design of Gotham City. Like there's great big statues like either side of the big Christmas tree. And they're, they're pulling back big levers and gears and stuff like that. It's got this big, huge fascist kind of thing about it. Yeah, and then I think when Joel Schumacher came on board with oh. Batman Forever, he just took that idea level. and ran with it. Yeah. <laughs> it gets ridiculous. Yeah, he was just like, let's get as much colour as we can. Let's get big, massive statues and colour and let's just make these things look ridiculous in sets. You sent me a message maybe a week ago now, and it was in reference to the thing that people are talking about at the moment, the masquerade ball scene, mm-hmm. and there's somebody wearing a Jay Garrick flash helmet. helmet, which I was not aware of at all. It's interesting, isn't it? So mm. It could, maybe it was, maybe it's just someone wearing a Mercury helmet, yeah. I and mean, that's who yeah, Jay maybe, Garrick based yeah. his costume after. But it's tantalising to think that maybe Burton was sowing the seeds for something greater. I th- I, I think it's a throwaway moment, but if the deal goes through for Keaton to come back as Batman in the Flash movie... It would legitimize that scene. They could retroactively just say, yeah, well, it was Jay Garrick yeah. all along. It would be exactly. really easy for them to do that. But what I found really amazing, interesting um, when I was looking into this is the fact that this is a costume party where everyone is wearing a disguise. That's right. Everybody but two people. Selena Bruce and Bruce. and Selena. Isn't that amazing? Because, like I was saying earlier, Metaphorically. in this movie, Bruce Wayne is the mask, yeah. not Batman, and it's the same for Catwoman. Yeah. I really like that. Me too. Metaphorically, really nice. they're, they're wearing their masks by they're wearing their true personas. Isn't that amazing? It, it's brilliant. Like, it it's really po- is. It's poetry, man. It's, it's, it's complete poetry. It's genius. I love it. Let's talk the music, then. Oh, Let's Elfman. talk Danny Elfman. He is the king, man. He... Wow, that first Batman theme is incredible from the mm. first movie. And then the rendition that we get in here, like this is a movie that's set at Christmas, so mm-hmm. it's got more of a twinkle to yep. it. Bells and whistles. But it's so good. Like, oh, yeah. It is such a good score start to finish. Do you know what's great about it? As much as you get the, ret- uh, the Batman score coming back, um, Penguin has his own suite, and Penguin's suite has different emotional... Um, sort of um, benchmarks to it it has a couple of different refrains that, that keep they keep coming back to you know the more melancholy moments like when he's trying to track down his parents and then and the more tragic moments and stuff like that they like Elfman really gives fleshes out Penguin emotionally with his um with his scores Batman 89 two musicians worked on that movie mm-hmm. Prince and Danny Elfman yep I'm glad we got Elfman back yeah I'm glad that he's the one that chose to bring back for this because it's yeah he's fantastic and I'm a big fan of Danny Elfman. Like he's he's up there. Like yep. he's got so many so many good scores. He's like on a personal level, he's an inspiration for me with my guitar playing. I try to make my guitar sound like Elfman's orchestra. He's just that influential to me, and a lot of metal players and hard rock players and stuff like that probably look up to him too for those reasons. I mentioned the last scene earlier, almost I touched on it. Mm-hmm. Always love the ending. Mm, me too. Driving through Gotham, Bruce sees Catwoman's shadow. Investigating, he only finds Selina's pet cat, which he decides to take home. And adopt, yeah. As the bat signal lights up in the sky, the figure of Catwoman appears, looking at the signal from a rooftop. 
perfection. Does that not look so freaking awesome? It's so good, whether it's the final shot of the movie Mm. or whether it's just a screenshot of that scene. It is magnificent. (laughs) Absolutely love it. Did you know, though, um, that was actually a reshoot. They actually had to call... um, uh, Selena back, uh, what's her name, Michelle Pfeiffer back to do that. That was done post, you know, like, like once the movie had wrapped or like once principal photography had wrapped. And so, and all that is, and it looks so convincing on screen, but all that really was was just her standing in front of a, a green screen, which they later you know, project the cityscape onto. And all she's doing is just like standing up. She's like crouching down and she just stands up and is it to look like she's facing toward the bat symbol. And they just composite that in later on. Um, you know, with the effects of the day, special effects of the day. But but having seen it, when you see it, you know, as it is in the movie, you swear like she's actually standing on a rooftop yeah, in a city, and that brilliant. bat symbol is being projected into the well, sky. Well, you don't you don't have any reason to doubt that it's really happening. You just mm. you're so immersed in this world. But yeah, it's it's a great way to end the to movie. End I love and, it. Like you say, it's an yeah, iconic it shot. It's an iconic parting shot. Okay, so after the movie, we got Batman Forever. Not too the bad. movie we got wasn't always the movie that they intended. Um, so with Forever, Warner Brothers decided to go in a lighter direction to be more mm. mainstream in the process of a family film. Burton had no interest in returning to direct a sequel. Understandably. So he was credited as a producer. Exactly. Mm. Um, with Warner Brothers moving on development for Batman Forever in June '93 a Catwoman spin-off was announced. Michelle Pfeiffer was to reprise her role with the character not to appear in Forever because of her own spin-off. Mm. So that's why she doesn't appear in that movie. Because I always saw like, these Batman movies, like Bond films, like no no matter who Bond got with in that movie, mm. it, was always, it would always be someone else. Yeah. And I thought that's kind of what they were doing with Batman okay. as well. Yeah, true. But the original plan was for her to have her own movie before Halle Berry. And that's why we don't get her and instead get Nicole Kidman as Chase Meridian. Yep, that's right. The Catwoman film was laboured in development hell for years, with Pfeiffer getting replaced by Ashley Judd. Of course, that never happened because Mm. in 2004, I can't believe how many times I've name-checked this movie, we've got Catwoman starring Halle Berry. So that Mm. just didn't work out. And as I said earlier, Keaton is in talks to reprise the role of Batman in the DC Extended Universe, beginning with The Flash in 2022. Which I really hope happens. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the comic book fan in me, the nerd in me, uh, in all of us, I think, really wants that to go through and, and happen. Yeah, me too. And they're talking about him having a Nick Fury-type role. Yeah. Just like Sam Jackson did in the MCU, where he would pop up every now and then in other movies. Give guidance or counsel. So that's who this older Bruce Wayne would be. They yeah. have also confirmed whether it's Keaton or another actor, the older Bruce Wayne will actually wear the Batsuit. And there's talks of a Batgirl movie, so he could be a mentor in that. True. And any other DCEU movie could have Keaton as Batman. Um, but what I did read, if Keaton doesn't sign, they're going to go after Bale. Yeah. So either way, I've heard that too. we're going to get a movie of Batman. But I was looking at um, some behind-the-scenes artwork from Crisis and Infinite Earths. Yep. And obviously in that, in the Batwoman episode, we got Kevin Conroy. That's right. Who voiced Batman for many years and still does. Mm-hmm. We got him as a live-action Bruce Wayne. But if you look at the concept art, it's clearly Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. So they so wanted him tell. for that, but I am glad. I think he's been someone they've wanted for a long time yes. to come back. But I'm glad 
one for Convoy because it mm. was great for him to finally get to play a live action Bruce Wayne. Oh yeah. But two, if we're going to get Keaton back on the big screen as Batman, I would absolutely love that. Before we do our rating, we I think would. we should probably just mention the fact that in this movie, yes, Batman kills many people. People just accepted it. Ben Affleck killed a couple of people in Batman v Superman. Everyone gets upset. But oh, in man. this, Paradox. he's using the Batmobile to set a guy on fire. He's putting a bomb down someone's trousers. It explodes. Yeah, he's killing you, people you, you in this movie. You don't actually think about that, do you? Not when you're watching when you're younger, but when you're looking back and you're thinking, hang on a minute. Like, Holy no, crap, no, he's, he's killing people. He is legit killing people. And everyone's okay with it. Everyone's it's like it. yeah. Man of Steel. Yeah. Uh, Zod getting his neck broken mm. and honestly I struggled with it for the longest time but you go back to Terence Stamp he's not surviving when he's dropped powerless in the Fortress of Solitude but back then we just watched and accepted you, it yeah you take it for what it is without actually questioning it further and, and you're like hang on wait a minute so if you're upset about Ben Affleck killing his Batman Keaton did it first yep and if you're upset about that you can go dunk your head in a bucket of water I mean, yeah, that's what Nathan thinks. <laughs> so, okay, so rating then. What would you give Batman Returns out of five? I'm known for giving fives, and I am not letting up now. That was a five, for sure. A hard five. Loved it. Always, I still do to this day. Um, it's one of my all-time favourite movies. Um, I have a deep, deep love for the character, and it's all because of what Burton and Keaton did with the character. And, I mean, like, people grew up with different Batman and, um, you know, that was my Batman that I grew up with. And to this day, he's, you know, he's the gold standard. So, um, uh, solid five for me. Love the soundtrack. Love the look of it. Um, love the darkness of it. I love that I can go back and laugh at lines that I went over my head as a kid. It's just, everything about it is just, just poetry. Just dark, doomy, gothic, beautiful poetry in motion. Five. I've always watched and loved this movie. Uh, the recent rewatch and, you know, talking about it here today it's not quite a five for me i think for the longest time it was a solid five it's definitely still up there and i'm, I'm going to come in at a 4.5 so let me ask you this how come you drop your score why is it getting a 4.5 it's the it's the fight scenes okay it's coming down to the fight scenes right. the action sequences because think about it okay so we've just talked about this movie for more than 40 minutes and gushing it's, about it yeah gushing about it but it's a Action movie mm. adapted from you know Batman comics. Yeah, which themselves really, are but we've not yeah, but action. we've not really talked about any action. Mm. And action does happen, but it's not really a big thing that happens. It's not until you get in say Bale in Batman Returns and then and Affleck, later Affleck that we're seeing Batman as a fighter and a brawler. Mm. The scene in particular that I, I struggled with, and it's towards the end, mm -hmm. and it's when you've got Batman, Catwoman and Penguin fighting, mm. and Batman's going between the two. Yep. And it's just slow, clearly choreographed, and it was it was quite difficult to watch. Mm. But again, I've got nothing but love for this movie. Just that scene kind but of sticks in But it's an action movie. But then you look at the director. He's not an action director. Mm. You look at the cast. I mean, Diane DeVito, not really known for action. No. Keaton. Michelle Pfeiffer's done some. Mm. But, yes, yeah, so on the whole, 4.5. Fair enough. I, I I can I can understand where you're coming from there. That's that's definitely a good point and it's well made. That's it for our episode all about Batman Returns. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic 
Neighborhood upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me back, as always. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.